0: And good morning, church family. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Revelation, chapter 22. Revelation, chapter 22, looking at verses 6 through 21. And if you're using one of the Bibles that we provide under the seats, you will find this on page 1042. As always, I'll begin in a word of prayer, and then we will consider this text together. Let's pray now. Our Lord, how grateful we are for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit who ministers to our spirits and and works these words into our hearts. Lord, as we conclude our series through the book of Revelation today, would you impress once more the truths of this book upon our hearts Would you show us, through your word this morning, how these truths should follow us every day of our lives? Would you help us to be a a renewed people because of the time that we have spent in this important book? We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this week I went back to my old preaching calendar to find out when we began our series through Revelation. And I discovered that my first sermon from the book was on September 11th of 2022. So we have been in this book for just a little over a year, and today we are finally bringing our series to a close. Revelation is an important book in our Bibles. It's important because it gives us a glimpse of the future that awaits the entire world and especially the children of God. This book outlines for us both the scope of God's future plans, but also the sequencing of it. So together we have learned that Christ will first rescue His church from the earth by resurrection and translation, and that this will fulfill His promise in John 14 and also in Revelation 3, verse 10. Subsequent to that, Christ will execute God's righteous judgments on the world of unbelief. These judgments will stretch over a period of seven years, and they will come in waves of seven, this signifying that God is executing His perfect judgments on the world of unbelief. But we've also learned that this coming time period won't be exclusively about judgment, it'll also be a time of salvation. God will raise up evangelists, and He will send them to all the nations of the world. God will even send His angels overhead to proclaim the message of the gospel. Multiplied millions will respond to the message, and they will be saved. Then once this time is over, Christ will descend with His church, and He will touch down on the Mount of Olives, And then he will take his seat on the throne of David, and he and his bride will reign for a thousand years. And this millennial reign will fulfill all of the covenants from times of old. The Abrahamic covenant, and the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and the new covenant. They will all find their grand fulfillment in Christ's millennial reign. And then after that time is over, Christ will hand His kingdom over to His Father. And the devil and all who chose to follow the devil will receive their final sentence and they will be cast forever into the lake of fire. And then God will renovate the heavens and the earth. He will give us a new heaven, a new earth. And at the center of that new earth, there will be a city called the New Jerusalem, and we studied that city together. We saw that it will be a spectacular place. The city will rest upon a rainbow foundation. The walls of that city will rise 20 stories high, and those walls will be made of transparent jasper, so they will appear like flames of fire rising from the rainbow. We saw how the buildings and the streets of that city will be made of pure gold. We saw that it will be an enormous city, and it will be 1,400 miles long, 1,400 miles deep, and 1,400 miles high. A perfect cube, just like the inner sanctuary of Solomon's temple from the Old Testament days. The entire city will be built like an inner sanctuary. Only in that day, it will not just be the high priest who can enter and meet with God. It will be all of his children and for all of time. It'll be like we're all high priests in that day. And it will carry on this way forever and ever. Father and Son ruling over a kingdom that will endure forever and no longer will there be any sin or sickness, or death, for those things will finally have passed away. And forever and always we will serve our Lord joyfully, and we will worship Him, and we will have fellowship with one another, and it will be paradise restored, just like it was in the Garden of Eden, so it will be again only better, better this time, because it will not even be capable of falling into sin. This is our future, ladies and gentlemen, and it will all begin with our Lord Jesus appearing in the clouds. It'll all begin with His return. As we come to the end of this book now, the great question confronting us is, how then shall we live? That is to say, in light of the truth of Christ's appearing... And of all that will flow out of that appearing, how should we live our day-to-day lives right now as we anticipate all of these things? Well, friends, this is precisely what these final verses of Revelation were were designed to answer for us. These verses form something of an epilogue to the book, that is, some some concluding thoughts. These verses show us how to live in light of our Lord's coming. It all begins in verse 6, so let us start there together. The Apostle John is writing here, and he writes, "He said to me, that is, the angel who has revealed the contents of this book. He said to John, quote, "These words, the, the words of the book of Revelation, all of the words that you have heard. these words are trustworthy and true." And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Friends, I believe that this verse gives us the foundational conviction which will drive all of the proper responses to the book. It all begins with the conviction that what we have received together these past 12 months, the full contents of this book, that these words are trustworthy and true that what we have received together this year is an accurate presentation of God's actual plans for the future. This is what we have in this book, and that these words, though, though they have been mediated to us via an angel and then through the pen of John, yet the author of it all is God himself. He says there at the second part of verse 6, the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, he is the one. He is the one who has decreed that these things should take place. He is the source of the revelation that we have received together. And so that very same God, my friends, that that very same God who worked in and through the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles, the very same God who inspired the writings of our Old Testament scriptures and who inspired the writings of the other 26 books of the New Testament, that same God has given us the information found in the book of Revelation. It's true information, trustworthy, material that we can bank our lives on, coming right to us from the God who made us. And then in verse 7, our Lord Jesus confirms this. Jesus says, verse 7, And behold, I am coming soon so the angel has spoken and he said all of these words trustworthy and true now our lord jesus himself steps in and adds his his stamp that yes what you have heard is true i am coming soon friends that one line encapsulates the entire message of revelation because it all starts there with our lord jesus and his return He says, yes, I am coming. In fact, this is so important that he says it three times in these final verses. Look down to verse 12. He repeats it. Behold, I am coming soon. And then verse 20, we have the great climactic statement. Surely, surely I am coming soon. This is the message of Revelation in a nutshell that our Lord Jesus is coming back and you can rest on that conviction. And he says he is coming soon. The word translated soon here. In this context, it means at any time. Our Lord is saying, I am coming, and it could be any moment now. In theology, we use the word imminency to express this idea. It means that there is no prophecy standing between the moment we're living in now and Christ's return. Okay. No other biblical prophecies between our time and the prophecy of His coming. So we're not waiting for anything else to happen. The next thing on God's calendar is to tell His Son to step off His heavenly throne and to break through the clouds and to come for His church. The very next thing. And it could come while I am still speaking to you today, or it could come in a thousand years, but there is nothing, nothing that we are waiting for before this event. Surely, he says, I am coming soon. And now we see how we ought to respond to God in light of this truth. It's the first of nine responses in our text. Second part of verse 7 says, Blessed, blessed is the one Who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book? And the word keep there means blessed is one who heeds all the words of this book or, or takes them to heart. It could even mean blessed is the one who obeys the words of this book, reminding us that the book isn't just a bunch of information for our heads, but it's also a book of moral imperatives that we are to practice. This book is filled with imperatives, beginning with the imperative to bow to King Jesus, to repent of sin, receive him as Lord, but then afterwards, imperatives to hold on to our first love, to contend for sound doctrine, to persevere in the faith to the very end. This book is filled with such imperatives. And so, friends, if we believe that the words of the book of Revelation are true and trustworthy words, if we believe that indeed our Lord Jesus is coming again and that it could be at any moment, then it behooves us all to heed the words of this book. Take hold of them. Take hold of the Christ that is revealed in this book. Believe in Him and trust Him and and bend your will to the will of Christ. My friend, have you done this? Have you taken hold of Christ? Do you understand the necessity of bowing to Him as your Lord and as your Savior from sin? Do you understand the necessity of persevering in your faith that it's, it's not enough simply to pay lip service to Christ and then you go on as if, you, as, as if you've, you've not closed with Him, as if nothing is different? You understand the necessity to walk in lockstep with Christ as his disciple all life long. Have you responded as you know you must? That is the first necessary response to this book. To say, yes, I must close with Christ. I must take hold of him, receive him to myself. And all the words that he has given to me through this book. We're called to heed his words. But then secondly, we see we're also called to worship him in light of what he's revealed here. Verses 8 and 9. Verse 8 says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. So you notice verse 6, the angel speaks. Verse 7, Christ speaks. Now verse 8, John, the one who actually penned the words, he speaks to us. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them... I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who show them to me. That's a remarkable admission on John's part. Here he is, the great apostle John. And his response to receiving all of these visions from this angel, his response is to fall down on his knees and start giving homage to the angel. Oh, these visions must have been so spectacular to John. Maybe the sight of that angel, too. Seeing this angel in all of, all of his creaturely glory there in heaven, he must have been something to behold. And so as John comes to the end of receiving all of these visions, and he's trying to process all that he has, he has seen and heard, and he looks at the angel who revealed it all to him. John, John doesn't know what to do except just fall to his knees and worship the one who, who shared the information. But look now how the angel responds to this, verse 9. It says, But he, the angel, said to me, You must not do that. Why? Well, because I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Then he says, Instead, worship God. Worship God. So, John falls on his face to worship the one who revealed the truths of this book. And immediately the angel says, No, John, don't do that. Don't do that. I'm a creature just like you. God made me just like he made you. And then he adds, And just like all the people who will read this book, we're all the same creations of God. And he says, I don't deserve your worship. I'm just a servant. I've done what God has told me to do. I've given you the information. I'm not the author of it. I'm a servant just like you're a servant, just like all who will read this book and believe its words are are my servants. Don't worship me. Instead, he says, worship God. See, John was right to respond to this book with worship. He just had the wrong object of worship. He should have been worshiping God. See, my friends, there is only one being in all of existence who deserves your worship. And it's not a prophet, and it's not an apostle, and it's not an angel, and it's not a saint. The only one that deserves your worship is God, the one who brought this universe into being, and the one who now sustains it by His power. It's the one who saw you in your sinful state and, and made a way for you to be reconciled to himself. It's the one who saved you by his grace and now has this glorious future in store for you, which was revealed to us in the book of Revelation. This is the one who deserves your worship. The one who is creating a new heavens and a new earth and a new city for you. He's the one who gets your worship. So, friend, as you look into your own heart this morning, can you say with a clear conscience that He is truly the one being that you worship? Is He the one being who has really captured your heart? The one that all of your your ultimate praise and gratitude is going for? Is He the one that your life is truly revolving around? Or is it a lesser thing, a, a created thing? Friend, God deserves your worship. He deserves it because of all that he has done for you already and because of all that he is going to do for you, as revealed in this book. He deserves your participation in public worship on Sunday mornings. And, and I realize I'm saying this to a group of people who has already gathered for corporate worship on a Sunday morning. But friends, it is so easy for, for all of us to grow indifferent over time. Like For some, for some reason, it is just human nature... That, that things repeated often become less and less significant to us, but we must never let that happen with our worship. We should go to bed on Saturday night excited every single time. Excited that we get to wake up the next morning and see God's people again and gather with them, and we get to sing again, and we get to pray together again, and we get to renew our fellowship, and we get to hear God's word expounded again. It should never grow old, and it should fill our hearts with praise to God. He deserves that from us every Sunday. The New Testament calls this day the Lord's Day. Let's give it to the Lord. But then he also deserves our family's worship throughout the week. See, it's not enough that we just come on on Sunday morning and and worship with our church family, but every day within our households, parents with your children or or spouses with one another, talking together about spiritual things and, and praying together and maybe reading a small portion of God's Word. Nothing too formal. Or maybe asking and answering some of the the questions from your catechism or maybe helping parents, helping your children to memorize some portions of Scripture. And as a family at home from Monday to Saturday, worshiping God together. And God deserves your individual worship. As you read your Scripture alone, and pray to God on your own. And as you, you go to work each day, fulfilling the, the calling that God has given to you, worship God on your own every day. Worship Him with prayer and in song, with words of praise. Worship God by seeking to glorify Him as you fulfill your life's calling. As you go to work, work for God's glory. As you're managing the household, do so to His glory. As you're training your children, do it to His glory. Let all of life, every day, be an act of worship to the God who saved you and who is coming for you and has this glorious future in store for you. My friends, in light of our Lord's coming in light of all that he has in store for us let us heed his words let us give him our worship and then the third response let us also declare him to others that's verse 10 verse 10 and and he said to me this is the angel again speaking to john he said to me do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is near to seal up means to, to lock something away for safekeeping. Maybe like a man might lock away his last will and testament. I remember a, a few years ago, uh, my wife, in fact, a number of years ago now, my wife and I went to an attorney and, and had them draw up our wills. And after they were finished, my wife and I read it over. It looked good to us. So then we put it in the safe deposit box, locked it up, and it's tucked away. And we haven't looked at it since. And Lord willing, nobody will have to look at that will for many, many years to come. Friends, we cannot treat the book of Revelation like that. Something to to look over one time and then lock it up for safekeeping as if it's not going to be needed for a good long time. No, we need it now. We need it now. For verse 10 concludes the time is near. Again, our Lord's return is imminent. It could be at any time. We need the contents of this book right now. We need it for ourselves, and we also need to share it with others. So we don't lock it away, sequester it, and, and, and forget about it. No, we keep it forefront in our own lives, and we tell others. We tell them about this, this man, Jesus, who lived and died and rose again, proving that he was more than a mere man, but was the very Son of God. And we tell them about his present present reign from his Father's right hand in heaven and how this Jesus is going to come back and he's going to come and save his people and judge the world in righteousness and how he's going to inaugurate a kingdom on this earth. We need to tell them about it all. Don't seal it up. This is a time for spreading the word. We can all have a part in that. You can have a part in the spreading of of the gospel of Christ just by being involved in this local church, in whatever capacity you are serving in here. You know, yesterday, as Pastor Scott said, we had ten men here. Working on the building and grounds, most of of what we did is not visible to you. It's still behind these walls. One day, we're going to rip these walls away, and you're going to see the work that was done. It's all hidden from view. There were men working on these walls. Why were they doing that? Well, because we want to make this auditorium bigger so that more people can come, so that more people can hear the words of God. God so they can hear the gospel of Christ and respond in faith and then be discipled in the word. That's why we're doing it. And so every time those nails were being driven into those two-by-fours, the work was being done for the purpose of spreading the word to more people. And we were outside scrubbing the steeple and the side of the, of the storage building and mowing the lawn and, and trimming, and we were... We were putting up a fence around the playground and, and cementing in the base for what will be a, a new uh, basketball room and doing all of these things. Why? Because this will provide us more opportunities for, for fellowship and relationship building after the church time is over, which will serve the, for the discipleship of our congregation and the forming of relationships with new arrivals. And we want the grounds to look beautiful because when new people come in, we want them to have a good impression of our church. We want them to see that we take all things seriously, including the beauty of our grounds, and we especially take the Word of God seriously. And we hope that will, that will motivate them to give us a serious look because we want them to hear the gospel of Christ and then to be discipled in the Word. So you see, it doesn't matter what you're doing Here, Whether you have a a teaching role or a preaching role or whether you are driving nails or mowing a lawn, all of the work that you do here serves the purpose of giving us a platform for spreading the words of God. Maybe God will give you a ministry of verbally communicating the word through the church as well. Certainly, we all have the the opportunity and the responsibility to look within our spheres of influence to be a personal witness, too. Last week, I put uh, these little brochures in each of your bulletins, and this offers suggestions for how you can get the ball rolling on that. God has placed each one of us in a certain sphere, and it includes non believing co workers, and it includes a neighborhood where there are non believers. It includes an extended family with non-believers in it. God has put us all there. And we can be witnesses within those spheres of influence. Friend, look for opportunities to form relationships with those people. Cultivate those relationships And then in the context of that trusting relationship, share with them the most important news that has ever been given. That God has made a way for us to be reconciled to himself. And he's done it through his son, Jesus Christ. Tell them about it. And tell them what Christ has done in history, living and dying and rising and then tell him what he is going to do. The things we've been learning from the book of Revelation. Tell him how he's going to return as king. He's going to establish a kingdom on the earth. Tell them about heaven and hell and about righteousness and about judgment and salvation. Tell, him, tell them about all of it. This is not a time to, to lock this away. It's a time to share And we don't know how much time we have. We could have a lot of time. We could have no time at all. We must seize our opportunities. Friends, this is a time for heeding the words of God. It's a time for worshiping God. It's a time for declaring Him to others. And then a fourth response. We must abide with Him. In in light of all that He's revealed, we must abide with Him. Verse 11. It says, let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Now, at first reading, that might be a confusing verse, but understand what's being being, uh, said here. What we have in verse 11 is called an ironic challenge. It's an ironic challenge. First of all, it's a challenge to the reader to consider what side of the divide he is on. Where do you stand right now? Do you stand with the evildoers or do you stand with the righteous? Are you outside of Christ or are you in Christ? Where do you stand right now? And then it's a challenge for you to think about what side you want to be on. Do you want to be on the side of the evildoer or do you want to be on the side of the righteous? What side are you on right now? What side do you wish to be on? Are you outside of Christ right now? Have you decided you like the lane that you're in? You you wish to continue in this? Then verse 11 would say to you, then go right on ahead. Go right on ahead. You're outside of Christ. You wish to remain outside of Christ. Go ahead and stay outside of Christ. Let the evildoer keep on doing evil. Let the filthy continue to be filthy. But at least now, now that we've come to the end of this book, you know what the end of that road will be. Are you on the side of Christ? Do you want to be on the side of Christ? Then take your stand with Christ. Stand with Him and persevere in your faith. Let the righteous still be righteous. Let the holy continue to be holy. That's what this verse is teaching us. Friend, where have you taken your stand? Are you standing outside of Christ? Are you standing in Christ? Maybe you're a Christian, but you've been trying to to play both sides. You've been trying to ride this fence of, I want everybody to like me. I want the Christians to like me, and I want the non-believers to like me. I want to I want to fit in with my church group and I want to fit in with my non-believing groups. With my coworkers, my, my neighbors, my, my extended family, whatever it might be. I want to be loved by both sides. I want to fit in on both sides. Friend, this verse tells us that we cannot make that choice. It is one or the other. You are either on the side of the evildoers or you are on the side of the righteous. And once you have made your choice of which side you're going to stand on, then it's time to commit yourself to that side. To say, this is where I stand. I stand with Christ. Christ with His righteousness, and I'm going down that path. And the rest can take me or leave me. That's the side I have chosen. This is the road that I am going to walk. It's an ironic challenge to us to consider where we are, where we want to be, and then make our commitment. I see that my time is concluded, and I've only come halfway through my outline. That means my final sermon for the book of Revelation is going to come to you in two parts. (laughs) We'll pick this up next week. I don't want to rush through the remainder of my notes. Let us leave ourselves with this. My friends, our Lord is coming. And He's coming soon. And in light of the truth of that, let us take hold of Christ Take hold of him, heed his words, receive him in faith. Let us worship him for all that he has done and will do for us. Let us spread the word of Christ to all who will listen. And let us take our stand on the side of Christ. And not be shy to identify with him. Let us do this, because he deserves it, and he's coming again. And when he does, we want him to find us doing these things. Let's pray together now. Father, we thank you so much for the final verses of this book. So much for us to learn here and help us as we now try to take all of the information that we've gained from the book and and as we try to take to heart all of the imperatives and now apply it to our daily lives. Help us, Lord, to do these four things, beginning this week, but then growing in ever-increasing measure in the weeks to come. Lord, we pray that you would give us the strength to do this. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.